Let's stand together and just read the scripture before I speak. James chapter 1. And we're going to read verses 9 through 17. James chapter 1, verses 9 through 17. Wesley comes back this week, so we'll have these verses back up on the screen. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation, because like a flower of the grass he will pass away. Verse 11, for the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass Its flower fails, its beauty perishes, so also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Verse 13, let no man say when he's tempted, I'm being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with with evil, for he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Verse 16, be not deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning. God, we thank you for the worship. Lord, our expectation this morning is that we would just hear from you, that we would hear from the Spirit of God on this topic of how to escape the way of escape from temptation. I just pray that these words would speak to someone here, speak to us, that we could understand that we're not slaves. And we just pray, God, that you would bless these words in Jesus' precious name. Amen. You may be seated. There's three things I just want to mention this morning. I just keep my wife in prayer. She's sick. She's got this flu. Um, Three things I want to mention this morning. Number one, what is a trial? What is a trial? Sometimes there are words, vocabulary words, in churches that people don't know what the meaning is, and they get lost in some kind of concept. What is a trial? Number two, what is temptation? And number three, what is the way of escape? What is the way of escape? You know, I think the Bible begins with the the most amazing story of, of, of a married couple in a utopia scene, Adam and Eve. They are in a place where there is no sin, where there is no, there's no evil, there is no failure. There is really in many ways an innocent world. And they are in this environment, and they are creatures. They are human beings with human need. And they are, they are faced with a choice. And when we read that, we're not going to read that together, but when we read that scene, we see that God is talking about really the emphasis of what God is talking about in the garden is everything that they are allowed to eat. There's just so much here that you are free to eat. And we see that story just littered, not littered, that's not a good word, uh, sprinkled with, with grace words, the gospel of all the trees, big word, all the trees you may freely eat of. 
There's what one tree, the knowledge of the good of evil, good and evil. And today's not the day to talk about that. But that was a tree that brought the consciousness of good things and bad things, but not the tree of life. A lot of Christianity today is stuck at the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, what they're allowed to do and what they're not allowed to do. And that can produce one of two, produces two kinds of people. The person who is lost and enslaved to his sin because he doesn't realize he, he has the power in his life to overcome it. And then the other people that live in the deception that they are able to overcome their flesh and the power of their flesh. So what is the way of escape? So first of all, what is a trial? You know, a trial, verses 9 through 12 uh, that we read just now, talk about what a trial is. And I just want to be very simple with you this morning. A trial, when we hear, hear the word trial, we think of a court case. We think of a judge a intimidating prosecuting attorney. We think of a lawyer who we hope is going is to face the accusation for us and get us off the hook. But a trial really is something more than that. A trial is really any change in our life. Whenever our life changes, maybe when I'm single and I get married, there's, that's a new trial. That is a new circumstance. It's a new experience. Maybe when I'm married and I have kids, that's a new trial. When I'm, when I'm broke and I start making some money in my business, that is a new trial. Or when I'm not broke, when I'm doing very well, <laughs> and then I'm not making any money anymore. And that's a change in my life, and that is a trial. A trial is really when any time something happens, when, when God allows in our life change. And these changes, whether they are an opportunity, a blessing, or a difficulty, is a test. A test that could either make us wiser and grow in the grace of God or lead us into something or move us into a place of temptation. So every change is going to make us, it's going to move us, and we will not stay the same. Do you know, changes that people experience in their their life, okay, changes that people experience in their life are changes that God allows and in some way impact us. And, you know, when you are injured in sports, okay, when you're injured in sports, how many have been injured in sports before? You're injured. That injury kind of is with you for the rest of your life in some way, isn't it? It is in some way. It is there. It is, it is impacting you. When something happens in our life, it impacts us. But it doesn't need to impact us negatively or it does not need to lead us into a place of temptation, but this changes us, and the way it changes us is a place that we could either be moving us towards what James is talking about here, the crown of life, or it could move us towards death. I want to explain that in a second. Trials are not given to us so that we could, so that God could wait until we fail, so that God can point at us and tell us, I knew you were going to fail, or a trial is not given to us so that we would come to the conclusion that I knew I couldn't pass this trial. The goal of every trial and every change in your life, whether it's a good change or change for the better or a change for the worse, something that God allows for this one purpose, and that purpose is for you you and I to discover the riches of Christ, his wisdom, his goodness, his grace. How many of you in this room today could say, I've been through some hard times 
And they did not look good at the time, but when I got through it, I could see the goodness of God in it. How many of you could say something like that? Okay. It's hard. I mean, when you were in the middle of that trial and somebody would have come up to you and said, hey, God's going to work this to good. Could you have said at that time, I really believe that? I don't, I don't think so. It, was very, it would be very hard for us in the midst of that. A trial turns to a temptation. And this is the second point I want to make today. A trial will turn into a temptation. The very thing that God has sent our way to promote us, to build iron into our souls. One translation, I think it's the Moffat translation, when it describes Joseph who is in jail, it says that that, uh, in the King James, I believe it says that there were iron fetters that that hurt his feet. Well, in the Moffat translation, it translates it like this, that God laid iron in Joseph's soul. A trial is sent our way to make us deeper people. Now, we could go to a church, and there's awesome churches in this, in this city. I, I, I know some great pastors here. We could go to a church that is just really dealing with surface, or we could be in a place where we're in the Word of God, where the Word of God is addressing deeper issues, issues that are the cause, the root causes. Trials turn into the temptation, and we read these in verses 13 through 15. When a change that God allows in our life with the purpose to bless, promote us in the kingdom, with the, with the purpose to cause greater intimacy with God and people and discover our power, our spiritual power in warfare, turns to a temptation. This is how it turns into temptation. When we cease to behold the face of Christ. When we cease to behold the grace of God. When we cease to behold the goodness of God. And that'll happen, by the way. That's going to happen. There are going to be times when we are so overcome with the difficulty, with the tragedy, or with the blessing of the situation that our eyes are taken off of. I'm talking about the blessing of the situation, not the, not the blesser or the, gift, the giver. And our eyes are taking off of it. And for a moment, we will, we are, that, is the, that is what, and I'm getting ahead of myself a little bit here, but that's what the word sin in the Greek means. It means to miss the mark. It just means that I'm taking my eyes off of the greatest mark, the greatest calling, the greatest, the greatest thing that I could be thinking about, and that is Jesus Christ. When our eyes are taken off of Jesus, we begin to, the trial that God has sent us begins to be, it turns into a temptation. It is not God that is tempting us. God is not tempting us. It's not the circumstance that is, that is tempting us. It is something that is with inside of the person, which is an old sin nature. And James talks about it. Temptation begins when our eyes are come off of Jesus Christ, of his goodness and his wonderful grace and all that he's doing and the divine thought of God. What is God doing in this situation? When, the, when, our, when our mind comes off of the mind of Christ in a circumstance. And when that happens, we like Peter begin to sink into the waves, into the storm of the very thing that God has called us to overcome. We are called to be overcomers. God will make us overcomers. We are already made overcomers in Romans chapter 8. And so when we are being tempted, and think of this, kids. When we are being tempted, we are being enticed to purchase something that we think we need in order to escape, and get this, in order to escape the judgment of emptiness. Okay? We are being solicited, we are being targeted to purchase something 
that is empty, that is promising us fulfillment for our void. Every one of us in this room has a void for whatever reason. It could be from our childhood. It could just be from a recent thing that's happened to us. We have a void. And a temptation is when we are being tempted, we are being enticed to purchase something that we think is going to fill the void. And this is what the law of sin and death. Think of this with me. The law of sin and death in Romans chapter 8 is a law that's like gravity. Okay? It's a law of like gravity. It demands, and this is what, this is what happens, okay? And I think that you can identify with this is that what it does, the law of sin and death, demands that you obey your desires to feed the void inside. Or, if you don't, feel, if you don't fulfill the desires to fill the void, whatever that void can be, then the consequence is what? Loneliness, right? Rejection. I'm going to be depressed. Or I'm going to feel neglected. Or I'm not going to be comforted. I'm, be, I'm going to be left comfortless. Okay? How many of you know what I'm talking about? Am, are we, am I, are we on the same page here? How many of you have faced temptation? If you're a human being, then you know what I'm talking about. If we have any androids in here, if we're droids, if you're breathing, if you're over the age of zero, then you know what I'm, I'm talking about. Is that when temptation comes, the pressure comes, the, the chemicals get going in your body and there is this pressure and, and, when, and whenever we've stood up against it and said no, then it comes back and it comes back and it comes back and we're like feeling lonely, we're feeling, we're feeling left out, we're feeling neglected, comfortless and we're feeling agitated and all of these things. And I'm talking about whatever that could be. There's a lot of substitutes out there that try to fill the void, food, entertainment, relationship, adrenaline, <laughs> adrenaline, whatever. There's a lot of stuff out there because there's a law. And the law of temptation is this. It's a, sin, it's a law of sin and death that if you don't obey the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes and the pride of life of 1 John 2, 15, what's going to happen? You're going to suffer a consequence of judgment. Does that make sense? Yes. And that judgment is going to be, okay, you're not going to do that, so good. You stand out in the rain and you just live a lonely life, rejected, and, and no one's going to want you. No one's going to want to hang around you. You're going to be the oddball. You're going to be whatever that can be. That's a law. It's a law of sin and death. And that's why, it's a, that's why it can be considered a trial. On the surface, and get this, kids, get this. I really want you to hear this, okay? On the surface, you know, it's funny. Because when I was a teenager, I sat in church, and I'd be like, what is this guy talking about? Does he even know what he's talking about? He is so detached from reality in my life, what's going on? I tell you, I tell you that, that, it, that if you could talk to your future self, <laughs> he would say, if he's a spiritual future self, he would tell you these same things. It's what Solomon would say in the book of, of Proverbs. On the surface, the bait might be lust, anger, greed, self-pity, defensiveness, entitlement, revenge, having to win, and so on. The only reason we take the bait is because we think it will satisfy our deeper hunger for meaning, freedom, validation, 
respect, empowerment, affection, a sense of identity, worth, and so on. See, when we take the bait, we are doing this so that we can have some sense of validation. I think that people can... So this is what happened with Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve are in this garden. Somehow the devil was able to narrow their perspective down to the very thing that they could not do. Okay? And just focus on the thing that they could not do. You cannot eat of that tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And that's what happens is that temptation narrows us down. What it tries to do or the devil tries to narrow down our scope so that we are no longer looking at the incredible all of the trees that we have to eat. All the incredible opportunities that we have in the grace of God. All the awesome life that we have with God. God's plan, God's future for us. And we zero in on the thing that we cannot do. And the fact that we do that is because we are forgetting who we are, who we truly are. And we do that because when we take our eyes off of Christ, we begin to fellowship with emptiness. We begin to fellowship with any other entity that is outside of Christ. And who else is outside of Christ? A lot of brokenness. A lot of brokenness. And so that happens. We are trying to fill a void. And guess what? Romans chapter 8, and this, this is where I, wanna, I want us to understand something here, is that this is where Paul came to in Romans chapter 7. He said, Oh, wretched man that I am, I'm broken. You ever, you ever, you ever get to that point where you say, I'm so broken, God, I'm broken? Yesterday I was just thinking, I was like, God, I'm just so broken. I'm just so broken. This morning I woke, you know, I was getting ready for this morning and I was preparing and I was just thinking, God, driving here, just confessing my brokenness to God. Say, God, I'm broken. I'm just so, I'm so broken, yet I am so loved. And this is the gospel that we are so much worse than we could even imagine, yet we are so much more loved than we could have ever dared to believe. That's the gospel. That in the midst of all of our brokenness, we are truly, severely, radically loved by God. When I say that word radically and reckless, I don't mean that God didn't think about it. God did think about it. God premeditated it. And God sent to, God ordained his son before the foundation of the earth to die for us so that we could be saved. That, that in Romans chapter 8, that before, the, before creation, it was, it was decided in God's mind that he was going to lay down his life, his son's life for us. We give into temptation because we are, listen to this, we give into temptation because we are desperately looking under every rock, and under every tree for something to make us happy. Online dating. Okay. Let me talk about that for a second. I know a lot of people go there. I know a lot of people do that. The percentages of successful relationships in online dating is so small. It's not like what they say on the, on the advertisement. You know, you see these couples. And they're talking about how they met online. And uh, there's people that we know. And even in this room that could tell you they've done that. They've gone online, online dating. And many times they've met people that are not even the same people that are on the picture that are being advertised. It's some weirdo, you know, some guy that's like 1,400 pounds heavier than the, than the picture on the, on the... It is some other... And there's so much danger in that because, because you don't know what you're getting into. God's created relationship and dating to happen within an environment of safety, of body, of just covering... And not to be something separate and um, isolated from a healthy community, which is the body of Christ. Someone's going to say, well, okay, that's, 
you're talking about, you know, that's, you risk being inbred as far as, you know, spiritually inbred in your dating. No, I'm saying that we are, that this ministry, our church is part of a worldwide affiliation of churches, that 700 churches worldwide. And we have, you know, I met my wife on the mission field. And it's like when we are in the call of God, I remember as a teenager, me and another guy, we used to sit, we used to think, you know, I was 16 or 17. I remember being in this dorm with these guys. And we were just like, wow, who are you going to marry? We talk about who we're going to marry. You know, like, how's that going to all happen? We had no idea. And I just knew that I was going to be a missionary and that I was going to meet my wife on the mission field. Somehow I just knew that. And it happened. And we give into temptation because we're looking desperately under every rock and behind every tree for something that's going to make us happy. That's what happens on online dating. It's like shopping. People go from person to person to person to person. The, the, the treasures and the richness of a relationship in marriage can only be discovered by going through things together. Yeah. Marriage is amazing because marriage is when two people have made a decision that for better or for worse, honey, I'm in this and we're not going to give up on this relationship. And that creates a safety zone. That creates an environment where both of us are going to be challenged. And if you're not married, I just want to say that God has a perfect person for you. And uh, being single does not mean that you're anything less than a married person. I want to make that clear. Paul said, Paul was single. He said, I wish that everyone could be like me because I have so much, my lifestyle is such a lifestyle that I can really focus on God's will in my life. So there's a difference between sinning and unbelief. Sin is the fruit of the problem. Okay? And what is sin? We already mentioned it. Sin is missing the mark of what God has for you, which is better for us than what the world, the flesh, and the devil could ever promise us. That's the fruit of the problem. The root of the problem is much deeper. It's unbelief. And unbelief is the deeper problem that we are doubting. And this is the point. This is the, this is the next point I want to make is that unbelief is that doubt that God has something better. It's doubting the gospel. It's doubting the grace of God. It's doubting the kindness of God. Sin is much, uh, the, the unbelief is much deeper than sin because a lot of religious organizations are really focusing on overcoming the symptoms of sin. Okay, and you can do that. People can overcome the symptoms of sin. They can overcome addictions. They can overcome, and actually their life could be a lot better. But without dealing with the deeper issue, which is unbelief, the root of the problem, the the underlying problem is is that Eve has an idea that she can't trust God because she's got another perspective. That's where it all begins. Where does the problem in the Garden of Eden begin? Not that they ate the apple, right? You see these pictures of the the Garden of Eden and you see two, two individuals covered with leaves and they got an apple in their hand, and that's defined as sin. That's, that's defined as error. But we have to back way up and, 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 and focus what is the root of the problem, is that somewhere along the line, Eve began to listen to a foreigner's voice that said to her in this environment of God's grace and mercy and love, where she began to listen to a voice that said, God is hiding something from you. God is not giving you something because either you don't deserve it or you deserve more. Okay? 
This is the voice of the devil. And he's, he's saying that to teenagers today. He's saying your parents do not want you to experience certain things because they're, they don't think that you can handle it or they don't think you're worthy of it. Okay, that is the voice of the devil. The devil is saying God is holding back something. God is not blessing you in your business because you're not doing something right. Okay? This is the root of the problem. This is unbelief. This is, this is when doubt comes in. I just want to say that temptation is a lie. It's a promise that cannot deliver. I mean, if you've been down that road of temptation and it gives, to, it gives, gives birth to sin and then the, grand, the grandchild of that is death, which is death, what is this? It's, it's two things. It's spiritual death where you just feel so rotten and so destroyed and so gross and so taken advantage of. Have you been there before? You feel so taken advantage of. And you're like, why did I do that? And this is death. And if, when a person lives in that state of just fulfilling every desire and, and going through with every temptation, that will eventually lead to a physical death in 1 John 5, verse 16, where a person actually dies earlier than the plan of God has for them. Wow. That happened, in the, that happened in, in the Corinthian church, where it says that many among you sleep and some of you are, are dead Okay, that's what it's saying is that some of you Corinthians got so wrapped up into a self-fulfilling lifestyle that your lifestyle actually turned into something destructive for your body and you died. Temptation, sin is just the biggest scam in the universe. It's the biggest scam because it promises you something awesome. And when you're in the middle of it, this is not awesome. (laughs) How How many can identify with that? How many can say amen to that? I can say amen to that. Because I've been there. We never sin because, and, I, and I've said this, we don't sin because a situation made us to. We sin because it's a decision of the will. Every temptation to sin at its root is a temptation to disbelieve the gospel. You know, the gospel is not just for people that are not saved, that, know, that don't know Jesus Christ as their Savior. The gospel is really the grace of God that we need as a believer every day. We're not being progressively saved. I'm not saying that. I'm saying that we need to hear the, the good news of the gospel every day, the finished work of Jesus Christ, that it is finished. And temptation begins at its root when we disbelieve the gospel, when we begin to believe that God is hiding out something for us. John Calvin said it this way, Christians are in a perpetual conflict with their own unbelief. And so temptation happens. What, what James says here is that it happens when a person is in a trial, whether a positive or a negative experience is happening, they, their eyes get distracted from Jesus Christ and they begin to pursue something, their own desire. And it's here in the, the Greek is the epithumia, which, is, which means an over-desire, which means something that's just over the top. It basically is, James is actually saying here is that Sin is not desiring things. It's desiring things so much that I'm going to be my own provider. I'm going to make it happen. For you and I to desire a life, a a good marriage or a good relationship or a good job or a good family life or a good job, something, for us to desire that, that's built inside of us as part of our human nature, right? We desire beautiful things. We desire Order. We desire a clean house. We desire, you know, uh, aspects in society where we're not at war with our neighbors. These are things that we desire. 
But over-desire or epithumia is when those desires take over us and they begin to dictate to us what we got to do so that we're happy. And this is, a, this is a disbelief and this is a rejection of the grace of God. This is where I'm saying I can't trust God because I've been hurt before by whatever and I can't trust God that he's going to be good to me. Does that make sense? Yes. Am, am I, are you following me here? Yes. I want to wrap it up here. It's over-desire. It's, it's something that I want so badly that it turns into a fatal attraction, and it's up to me to make it happen. So what is the way of escape? This is the last point I want to make here today. What's the way of, of escape? How do we get out of this? Verses 16 and 17 of, the, of, of James chapter 1 that we read. Dealing with the pressure of temptation is not about resistance or behavior. It's not about behavior, Okay. When we get to a place where we're already experiencing the pressure of temptation, which is to react, to lash out, to get depressed, to go to the bottle, to whatever we go to for that comfort, before we get there, we are there because of a deeper root. And that's because the deeper root, and I'm repeating myself on purpose, is that we did not trust something about the goodness and the graciousness of God's plan towards us. But when we are at that point, and it's going to happen, there are going to be times when Jesus said, pray to the Father that he does not lead us into temptation, if somebody doesn't understand what that verse is saying, they may be believing that God leads people into temptation. God does not lead people into temptation. The prayer here is, is that, God, while I'm in a change of circumstances where there's the potential for me not to believe in the goodness and the grace of God, keep me by your power from going in that direction where I doubt your goodness. Where I keep, where where I wander away. It's like that old hymn that we that I don't know if we sung it. Um, bind my, take my heart, Lord. Um, help me with the words. Take my heart, Lord. Uh, take and seal it. Uh, my heart is prone to wander. Here's my heart, Lord. Take and seal it um, for Thy courts above. Is that beautiful? Like God, take my heart, seal it, and set it apart for Your courts above. And that's a prayer that if we pray that prayer, God's going to answer that prayer. What's the way of escape? It's not dealing with behavior. It's not mustering up the strength to like go at it and say, okay, now I'm ready for this temptation. That's not what it's being spoken about. But here is the way of of escape. One word. And just remember this word. Surrender. Not to the temptation, but surrender to God. When that pressure is coming on, when you feel the anger or that that, that, that overwhelming situation where you just feel like I've been rejected, I'm back at this place again, I've been here before, every situation seems to, every opportunity seems to lead me back to this situation where I'm sitting in my living room by myself, alone, or whatever that is, surrender at that moment to God and say, Dear Jesus, I surrender to you. I surrender to you. I surrender to the goodness and the grace of God. I surrender to the action of grace because grace is so, act, is so active. Grace is not a nebulous philosophy. It's not just a Christian doctrine. It's a person. It's Jesus Christ. And anytime we, we separate the nature of theology or a characteristic of theology from the personhood of Jesus Christ, we are in error and we are going down the wrong road. Surrender to Jesus. And this practically means this. Okay, God, this is the way the situation appears to me. Um, uh, phone calls are coming in. I got to pay that bill. I can't pay that bill. Pressure's on. People are asking me 
whatever that pressure might be, for us to stop, think, and begin to surrender to the goodness of God and speaking to ourselves the word of God, that Jesus has been here. You know, I was listening to Chris today, and it was just so awesome when he shared Jesus was a small business owner. He had a, he and his dad had a family business. And they were faced with times where they could have made decisions that did not, that were not in decisions of integrity. Jesus was there. Jesus was tempted at every point. Every point. There was not a temptation in this world that we live in in 2018 in Spring, Texas, that Jesus has not faced. It's come at him. Maybe we don't read about it, but he lived in a very loose culture. He lived in the Roman culture that was that was overseeing a Jewish culture and he faced everything it all came at him surrender to the goodness of God surrender to Jesus understanding that if Jesus died for me will he if God in Romans chapter 8 did not spare his own son if he didn't spare his own son his own son would you spare your own son <laughs> I think I would I I don't think I would I mean I, I don't know I don't know what I would do he didn't spare his own son. And if he did not spare his own son, will he, what? Not give us, what? Freely all things. That's the question we've got to ask ourselves when we feel tempted. And remember, the temptation is not to go into our besetting sin, which everybody on the planet deals with. You know, sometimes we hear these messages about the secret sin. God's going to get you. He's going to find you out. Well, guess what? Everybody has something hidden secret in there. I don't, but we don't boast in that, but there is something there. And I'm not here to, to get on people and condemn people. I'm here to talk about what is the root of that. What is the root of that thing? And the root of that is, it's just unbelief in the grace and the mercy of God. That God is going to be gracious. God's going to be kind. I don't need to go take drugs because, because I don't need to fill the void of validation. I don't need to feel that stimulation that that substance gives me because I'm important to God. I belong to a community, a body of people that recognize me as important, that recognize me as a new creation in Christ. That's why we gather here on Sundays. It's not that we would pull you away from your families, that you would sit in these seats and that we would preach at you. It's that you would come together and get encouraged, built up. And I see you guys maybe two hours a week, right? Most of you. I don't know what's happening in people's lives. But I know this, that our goal here is, is to see young men and women and older men and women of God be raised up like Chris and Michael and others and, and Austin, and just other people, just see guys get raised up and just not us do it, but see God do it. For God to bless our marriages, for God to bless our kids, for God to give us wisdom about our businesses. Surrender to the goodness of God. Surrender to his goodness and again, the law of sin, I'm going to repeat this, is like, a law of, it's like a law of gravity. It demands that you obey your desires to feed the void inside or suffer the consequences of loneliness, rejection, depression, neglect. That's okay. I'm going to suffer the consequences. I'm going to be on the street. I'm going to be waiting. I'm going to be alone because I'm going to choose with Christ. And I'm going to not be afraid of those consequences because guess what? In my loneliness, Jesus is going to be there. In my, in my rejection, Jesus is going to be there. In my times of trouble or doubt or whatever I struggle with, Jesus is going to be there and he's going to comfort me. The gospel of grace is this. It declares that we don't need to try to save ourselves, defend ourselves, 
legitimize myself, justify myself, or free myself. People run for freedom because they're looking for freedom. The gospel frees us from obsessive pressure to avoid the judgment of those things that we talked about. And I just want to close with this, is that, is that when you see the devil coming, discern him. Discern the, the voice. Discern the voice that is not the voice of your shepherd. And you and I won't be struggling with these needless mind games and these temp- battles of temptation. Because we're going to understand that the voice of the shepherd is a voice that builds up and encourages us. It speaks about our value. It, it heals us. And it, and it addresses the deeper issues. And when that comes at us and we sense that pressure, surrender to God and the devil will flee from you. Surrender to God and he will flee, flee from you. Surrender to the grace of God and just know that he is going to be faithful. He that has begun a good work in us is going to be faithful to complete it. And that's the way of escape. That's the way of escape. And you know, when we fail, when we fall down and we mess up, when we crash and burn, remember 1 John 1 verse 9, that faithful is he, that we confess our sins to God and he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. When we confess it, we can just rebound so quickly in the grace of God and grown who we are in Christ. Amen? Okay.